are listening to First Church Charlotte. Greetings to all of you all across the metro area. Uh, We are today celebrating the resurrection of the Lord. Um, This is our formal Remembrance Day as a Christian culture. As believers and as Christians, we celebrate it almost almost every day and certainly every Sunday. Um, But as a Christian society today, we celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, It's not going to be quite as fun this year uh, in the sense that we're used to doing this together and uh, we're going to be doing this apart. We are still in this this social distancing time. Uh, That's all right. We will get through this. I actually believe that when we come back together as people um, of faith, we're going to appreciate one another in a manner that's greater than we ever have. Uh, we're going to enjoy worshiping and singing and exalting the Lord together. I know this about God. He will bring something good uh, out of this, and he will use the experience of it to mature us as individual believers, uh, as, as, as tools, so to speak, in his hands. So uh, we're going to come through this. I want you to know I miss you very, very much. Um, I, I so much want to see you all, and thank you for your kind uh, texts and and emails and calls uh, where you, so many of you have reached out to me uh, and spoke your uh, affection and your encouragement to me. I want to say thank you for that. Um, today we're going to spend a few moments together in the Word of the Lord. Uh, then we're going to take communion together. And actually, uh, while this is happening, while all this is going on, there will actually be people at the church today being baptized um, in the wonderful saving name of the Lord Jesus Christ because the, the work of the kingdom goes on. Now, we're, we're being appropriate with this. We've, we've looked into everything we need to do to be safe while we do this, but there will be people being baptized today, and we are just ecstatic about that. Thank God for what he is doing. So, the Easter message is this. He's not here, but he has risen. We celebrate that today. Because Jesus rose from the dead, everything is different. Everything truly has changed. Now, the Apostle Paul uh, makes no bones about this. He doesn't soft soap it whatsoever. And he points out that if Christ, in fact, did not rise from the dead, then uh, the whole Christian doctrine, the foundations of Christianity really uh, fell apart. Uh, they did not hold up like a, a house of cards. They, they would simply disintegrate. However, however, and this is a big deal, if Christ did rise from the dead, then all of the arguments of atheism and all of the arguments of agnosticism, they fall apart. Because if Christ rose from the dead, it is evidence that the word of God is true, the promises of God God are true, and the same manner in which Christ came out of that tomb, we are all of us going to rise to everlasting life. That same spirit that rose Christ from uh, the dead is in us and quickens our mortal body. So that's what we're celebrating today, and it is it is the great hope of, of the Christian faith. Five times Jesus said uh, that he was coming out of the tomb. Five promises he made, uh, things that you could destroy this temple, 
you could, you could kill him, but he would be resurrected. And he did on that great day uh, where he came out holding the keys to death, to hell, and the grave. Now, if Christ came out of the tomb, and we believe as believers, of course, that he did, he has, he, he literally has manifest a victory that it's difficult for us to comprehend. It's, it's difficult for us to really wrap our heads around the enormity of, of that of that victory. And uh, here's the interesting thing. The Bible chooses to express that victory as a love story, uh, not, simply, not simply a story of dominance or a, a story of victory, uh, but as a, as a love story. Uh, the Apostle John would say it like this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. They decided, the writers, the apostles, uh, decided, uh, moved by the Spirit, to express it not simply as as a victory of a king, not simply uh, the victory of my team winning. Now, uh, admittedly, we all love our team to win, and it's fun to celebrate when your team wins. But the, the victory of the resurrection is not simply shown to us like that. In fact, it's rarely shown to us like that. The man it is shown to us is as a love story fulfilled for you, fulfilled for for me. John 15 and 13, greater love has no man than this, that he lay his life down for his uh, friends. Or Peter would say in his first epistle, chapter 4, verse number 8, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Think about that. That is literally what happens at Calvary. Love covers a multitude of sins. Now, see it this way. Not simply my team won. Not simply my God stronger than your God. Not simply, you know, the, the, the great victory of the, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Yes, all those things are true. But that's not the story the Bible most often tells. It couches it in the language of love, and it tells it as a victory of love, and it presents uh, this moment of, of divine victory where Christ triumphs. It presents it as the fulfillment of love. In other words, if you simply understand this in the terms of my team one, you miss the greater part of the story, and you miss the motivating factor that made the heart of God so expressed that it would be our sins he paid the price of, and it would be our hearts he died to save. In other words, don't just see it as my team won or my God stronger than your God. See it as love, the divine expression of love. Now, why does this matter? Why would I, as a Bible teacher, why would I, as a, uh, a preacher, try to, to, to engage you enough to take a moment and see this as uh, a love story? And the reason why is because the, the love story is the most powerful, motivating thing that we experience within our individual hearts. Love is the why behind every 
thing that makes sense. Um, people do things for many reasons. We all of us, uh, we, we may do this, we may do that, and the reason may not be good, but oftentimes looking back, our motivations didn't make sense. But when you do something because you're moved by love, that story, that understanding, that, that reality has weight to it that is understood across all generations, understood across all ethnicities, understood across all socioeconomic circumstances. Love makes sense. Love is the why that resonates within the human heart. Now, uh, this isn't just my opinion opinion. Uh, this is expressed in all of our music. It's expressed in all of our literature. Um, uh, PBS did a series on uh, uh, the 100 most loved American novels. The title of the series is called The Great American Read. And in these eight episodes, they interview many authors. They interview many uh, professors, many uh, literary experts, many poets. They, they, they really interview across uh, a spectrum of uh, the literature, uh, the, the whole arena of literature to understand um, why these stories uh, are the ones that touch the heart, why these stories are the, one, the ones that had staying power. And these are some of the quotes of the various uh, professors and uh, authors that, that comment in the series. Love is the driving force behind everything we do. Now, this isn't a preacher saying it. This is, this is a, a professor, perhaps not even a religious person saying it. Love is the driving force behind everything that we do. So I think reading about all of these different types of loves and the ways in which they present is one of the great human questions. Another quote, I love a good love story. I think everyone wants it. If you don't have it, you're trying to get it. If you have it, you're trying to keep it. Uh, another, another quote, every book on this list is about love and death and finding love that transcends death. I mean, who's not going to love a love story? Well, okay, they're the ones saying it. I, I just can't help but notice there is no love story that transcends death greater than the story of the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, one last quote from this series. We are fascinated by the fact that things can go wrong in love. We don't want to go there. We don't want this sort of thing to happen to us. Interestingly, this is the story of the word of the Lord. It is not just love and the motivations of love. It is broken love. It is love that has gone wrong. From Eden to the covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to the backslidden nation of Israel, to them receiving the Messiah but not receiving him, uh, to them having him come and walk with them and heal them and literally die for them and them rejecting him. He came to his own, but his own received him not. And so broken love did not stop God, but he himself was broken to save it. And he, in this process, opened his heart of love to include all of us who were afar off, all of us who were distant. 
He came to his own. They did not receive him, but as many as received him to them, gave he the power to become the sons of God. This is the story of a a love that transcends death. This is the power of Christianity. If we fail to see this, then we really... choose to ignore all of the, the stories of our culture. We choose to ignore the very foundations of our, our society's formation. This is the power of Christianity. This is why it would not simply fade away. This is why, though emperors tried to destroy it, it would not fade away. While enemies tried to burn it, <clears throat> it would not fade away. Excuse me. Um, they... Uh, love succeeds when nothing else succeeds. And so uh, we understand in our way, we understand broken love uh, because we understand relationships are hard. Now, if uh, most of us have uh, gone through relationships that didn't last, um, we, modern people call it dating, (laughs) and you date this one, you date that one, and you see how it's going to work out, and uh, more often than not, it does not work out. Uh, some of us have even gone through failed failed relationships on a more a more uh, formal sense. We uh, I want I want everyone to know if if you've gone through a, a a relationship failure, you've even gone through a divorce. That is not a reason why you should give up on God. That is not a reason why you should give up on church. There is life after divorce. There is hope after divorce. I just want to throw this in. Um, God himself is divorced. (laughs) Don't have time to preach that, but I want you to see that is not the end of your relationship with the church, your relationship with God. Uh, The broken relationship is a fundamental teaching element uh, in the word of the Lord. Um, You will, in fact, there's a whole whole, book of the Bible called Hosea that is about broken relationships, about uh, betrayal, um, about uh, an individual who chooses harlotry and how sh- her life becomes an uh, example of the house of Israel that has turned away from God. Um, I want to, uh, in the process of uh, going through all of these various stories in the, in the word of the Lord, I, I found one that uh, touched me because it's a, it's a story that Jesus himself will later on uh, quote to the very people who are going to kill him. So let's start in the Old Testament and let's Let's read how the story was told by Isaiah. I'm reading chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. This is the New Living Translation. Uh, the writer speaks. Now I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My beloved have a vine- had a vineyard on a rich and fertile hill. He plowed the land, cleared its stones, and planted it with the best vines. In the middle, he built a watchtower and carved a wine press in the nearby rocks. Then he waited for a harvest of sweet grapes. But the grapes that grew were bitter. Now, you people of Jerusalem and Judah, you judge between me and my vineyard. What more could I have done for my vineyard that I have not already done? When I expected sweet grapes, why did my vineyard give me bitter 
grapes. Um, This is the language of failed relationships. This is the language of betrayal. This is the language of the house of Israel turning away from a right relationship with God and uh, giving their heart over to uh, idolatry. This is still a temptation to us. It's just today our idolatry is not of a literal sense. Our idolatry is spiritual idolatry where we allow anything to occupy the high place of love in our heart. Um, there's things in your life you may love, but you should never love any of them more than God. To do so is to fail in the same way that the house of Israel uh, failed. Now, uh, we have some sympathy for this because we know relationships are hard. We, we read this story of broken relationships and we think, yeah, it happens. Relationships are hard. Well, I went online to uh, look at some of the advice we give one another uh, on how to get over broken relationships. And the, the key thing is um, you have to move on. You can't stay there. You, you, have to, you have to kind of put yourself together and you have to move on. Now, let's be honest, this is pretty practical advice. This is, this is pretty solid advice. Relationship doesn't work out. It's not the end. You kind of put yourself back together. <laughs> you quit listening to all your sad love songs and you kind of go to what's next. And if you've lived very long and you've loved, um, you probably have some kind of experience with that. I mean, even if you married your high school sweetheart, I mean, you probably had some fights before you got married and a few after you got married, at least one or two too, I'm thinking. Uh, And you have to kind of put it back together. And so uh, here's some of the advice of how uh, we tell each other to move on. Number one, reframe the story to yourself. That'll help you move on. Now, this, of course, can be a healthy thing or an unhealthy thing, depending by depending upon just how much you're willing to lie to yourself. Um, but, you know, you reframe it so you can move on. Number two, cut the cord. You stop, you know, texting them when you're depressed. You stopped thinking about them. You, you cut the cord. And uh, yeah, that's practical advice. Uh, number three, you create this self-care plan where you make sure you're not letting yourself wallow. Uh, wallowing doesn't really help a whole lot, but oh, we can be so, so good at it. So a uh, c- quick life tip to anybody who's currently wallowing. Okay, you've had your fun. It's time to start putting yourself together and going on. Uh, number four, assess your damage. Uh, how much were you hurt? Um, did, were you hurt for the wrong reasons? Um, did you ask something of them they could not give you? Did you expect them to fix something about you that you had to fix they couldn't fix for you? Assess the damage. Another thing we say to each other is, you know, ask yourself how you hurt them, you know? The goal is to learn and to grow and to do better in our next relationship. And if you came out of a toxic relationship, it may not have all been their fault. I mean, it, you know, of course, we're your friends, so we're going to act like it was at least 59% their fault, but um, it may have been a little bit your fault, you know. Uh, And lastly, uh, maybe think about a list of changes. Um, Maybe come up with a new list of non-negotiables for your next relationship. All that is pretty solid advice. I I actually can remember times I've given uh, similar advice um, to other people. I, I can remember counseling young men who uh, literally thought their life was over and um, they, were, they had been dumped and um, they were trying to move on and um, they called up, they would call up the girl who had dumped them and they would play a love song on that girl's um, voicemail to try to make her feel bad and then they would say pitiful things like, I miss you so much. Please, it, I, look, 
it just doesn't really work. Uh, uh, that's not how the heart works. But anyway, moving along. Um, <laughs> all of this is good practical advice, but I have a question for you. I have a question for you. Um, and this is a question uh, that really reflects human frailty and reflects our own e- e- uh, weaknesses. And this is the question, what if my love won't let me move on? What if love won't let me move on? Hmm. So now I'm going to tell you how Jesus quotes Isaiah. He's going to tell the same love story. Remember we read it, chapter 5? We read it together. I did a vineyard. What more could I have done, the lover asks. I, 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 I wanted sweet grapes, and I've gotten bitter. What more could I have done? J- tell me. Tell me what I could have done to do better. Now, later. Jesus is quoting this. Not exactly. He's going to tell the story just a little bit different. I'm going to read John chapter number 20, and I'm going to read a verse number one, and I'm reading in the, in the New King James Version. Um, uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Let me, let me correct that. This is Matthew 21. I'm going to go back to that other passage in just a moment. Matthew 21. Hear another parable, Jesus says. There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard. Sound familiar? And set a hedge around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a tower. Sound familiar? And he leased it to the vine dressers and went into a far country. Now, when a vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the vine dressers that they might receive its fruit. Now, the story is starting to change a little bit, but it's the same set piece. And the vine dressers took his servants, beat one, killed one. And stone another. And again, this, this individual sent other servants more than the first, and they did likewise to them. Then last of all, notice what this Jesus is adding. Isaiah didn't say this. This is Jesus saying this. Last of all, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. When the vine dressers saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir, come let us kill him and seize his inheritance. So they took him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Who did Jesus say these words to? Not just to, just to a random crowd. He said this to the people who were plotting to kill him. And the Bible says here in the passage that the reason why they didn't try to kill him right at this moment is because they were afraid of, afraid of the crowd. All right, so I've caught you up on what Isaiah said and uh, what Jesus would say later. And let's talk about this idea of not being able to move on. Um, what if love does doesn't let us move on. I'm going to read John 20. I'm going to read at verse number one. This is the story of Mary Magdalene. Now, the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. This would have been John who is writing the story. And said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple, John, and were going to the tomb. 
So they both ran together, and the other disciple, John, outran Peter and came to the tomb first, and he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Then came the other disciple, who came to the tomb first, went in also, and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their homes. Verse 11, but Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. Mary is not able to be practical at this moment. Now, let's be honest. Um, to get over to get over a broken love, you, you have to be practical. You have to stop quoting poetry and singing love songs. You have to be practical. You have to get out of bed. You have to get yourself cleaned up. You have to re-engage this process of life. You have to be practical to get uh, over a broken heart. Uh, Most people, most of us uh, have done it, and most of us, um, even if we don't always know how to do it, we, we, we know we should do it. What if you can't? What if love won't let you go? What if you, like Mary Magdalene, are stuck by this tomb and you know you should go home? You know it's time to be practical, but you just can't stop crying and you can't just go on. Who was Mary Magdalene? Uh, Mary Magdalene is one of the most celebrated characters in the word of the Lord because she is perhaps, and this isn't doctrine, this is just my take on it. She is perhaps the most committed of all Jesus' followers, interestingly enough. Um, she may have been she may have been the woman with the alabaster box, but it seems unlikely. Um, she may have been uh, she may have been a harlot, um, but that seems unlikely. I'll explain why. Um, she seems to have been a woman who uh, had means, and she was fairly fairly uh, a wealthy and she was also demon-possessed. And when Jesus cast demons out of her, she reoriented her whole life uh, to following him, learning of him, and supporting him. Uh, we, we see this again and again uh, in the scripture because um, she's mentioned in all four of the gospels. Uh, she traveled with Jesus, and we know this as one of his followers. She was a witness to the crucifixion. She was also a witness to the burial, many less witnesses to the burial, and she also was a witness to uh, the resurrection. Um, She's mentioned by name 12 times in in the Gospels, and um, she supported the ministry of Jesus Christ. Luke tells us that. I'll, I'll read... Uh, I'll reference Luke 8, verses 2 and 3, where she supported the ministry of Jesus Christ, the Bible says, out of her resources. She reorganized her life. Once she was delivered from seven demons, she reorganized her life around uh, this man who was more than just a man. She had never heard a man speak like Jesus spoke. She had never heard truth expressed like Jesus expressed it. She had never seen miracles like Jesus uh, 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 manifest before the crowd, and she 
oriented her whole life around Jesus Christ. She is there when everyone else flees and hides. Now, she's not in the garden, but when he is taken, she follows. And when he carries his cross out, she follows. And there at the crucifixion, when the other disciples are hiding and watching from the edges, she is there standing beside the mother of Jesus. She is committed. She is unafraid. She is willing to support. She goes the extra mile. And Mary Magdalene is an example of somebody, at least from my way of thinking, she is an example of someone who has truly fallen in love with Jesus Christ. Not just kind of a label Christian. Uh, not, not just somebody who, you know, respects the great teacher. She has oriented her whole life. She is completely dedicated. She is in love with Jesus Christ. When they take his body down, she is there. When they prepare his body and wrap it with spices and ointments, uh, she's the one doing it. The disciples don't know what it is to hold the broken body of Jesus, but Mary Magdalene does. They don't know what it is to take this lifeless body down and think about how to preserve it and how to honor it and how to show it devotion in this moment of defeat and death, but Mary Magdalene does. She's not somebody who only follows on good days. She is 100% committed, and she's there before anyone else, and she's the one to see that something happened here. Somebody moved the stone, and she runs to get to the disciples, and they, they come running back, and they see, and they're like, okay, things are different. Now what? Well, I don't know. I don't know, but I guess when I don't know, I'll just be practical, and I'll go home. Because whatever is next, I have to get on with my life. But what if love won't let you get on with your life? What if you can't just ignore them? What if love won't let you go? That's Mary Magdalene. Love will not let her go. Love keeps her right there. She's there before anyone else. When everyone else decides it's time to be practical, she, it's, she can't, she, she, she's not ready to move on. She cannot get over it. What if she's not the only one who can't get over this kind of love? What if, what if God himself can't get over love? What if God himself won't give up? What if he's not ready to be practical? What if he can't say, oh, I'll just start over. I'll speak another world into existence. What if he's not content to just wipe you from his memory? What if God loves you so much that in spite of the dumb stuff you and I have done, he's not ready to give up on you? What if God is so committed to you that even the mistakes you made this week do not preclude you from him stepping into your living room and touching your heart right now? What if God's that committed to you? What if God loves you more than you love you and you've done things that you struggle to forgive yourself for? You really struggle to forgive yourself and you're ready to move on from the fact of whether or not you are lovable, but God's not ready to move on. What if God, like Mary Magdalene, is still standing in your garden hoping something good will happen, something will change, that death won't be the end, that there is a hope beyond this hope and a life beyond this life. What if God, like Mary Magdalene, isn't ready to give up, isn't ready to 
quit. That's what Jesus added to the story of the vineyard. He wasn't ready to quit. He made it, he built it, he invested in it. He didn't get the response that he thought he would get. He didn't get the return he thought he would get. So he sent the prophets and the prophets came and they pled with the vine dressers uh, and they were slain and they came again, uh, but God wasn't ready to give up. He wasn't ready to just be practical. He wasn't ready to reframe the story. He wasn't ready to create a self-care program. He wasn't ready to cut the cord. He wasn't ready to assess the damage. He wasn't ready to ask himself what to do different next time. He wasn't ready to create this practical list of mistakes he was never going to make again. He was not ready to move on. And so when he tells the story, he tells it different than Isaiah because God can't get over his love for you. And in this time, when he tells the story, he revises it and he adds a different ending to it. And he says, let's send our son. Surely they'll hear my son. And when the vine dresser saw the son, they said, no, let's kill him and take his inheritance. And so they took him and they killed him. That's what God added to the story because God will not give up on you. What happens next for Mary Magdalene? Verse number 12, she saw two angels in white sitting at the head and the other at the foot of where the body of Jesus had lain. Why did she know that? Because she was the one who had laid him there. She was the one with the other uh, women who prepared the body. The disciples aren't doing that. She's doing that. She knows how they laid him. She's been with him the whole story when he was feeding 5,000 and when they were carrying his body to prepare it. She's been there the whole way. Why are you weeping? The angels ask. This is a perfect question that an angel would ask because an angel just doesn't get it. They don't see like we see. They see God as he is, not through faith. And so, of course, God's going to want, going to win. Have you seen him? I mean, look at him. How can he lose? That's the angel's um, viewpoint. And the angels just don't understand what it means to have to choose faith. How could you not believe? You'll understand it, and I'll understand it. And on that day, when every eye, every tongue shall confess, every, every eye's going to see, every tongue's going to confess, confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Then we're going to see like the angels and be like, well, yeah, of course he won. Look at him already. But in the meantime, God gives you a chance to show love by saying, I believe that God's going to bring me through. I believe there is hope. I believe there is a cleansing. Jesus is going to finish what he started in me. The angels say, why are you weeping? And Mary says, they've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. The practical mind wants to say, Mary, you know, this is where you move on. (laughs) This is where you just go to the next step of your life. But Mary's reality is that she cannot move on. Now, when she had said this, verse 14, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there and did not know it was Jesus. Um, A lot of people think different things about that. Um, She actually thought he was one of the gardeners taking care of the gardening. I've actually uh, preached a message years back entitled Supposing Him to Be the Gardener. Um, All of us preachers and whatnot, we've had fun with this. But the the point is this. It's not that she, I've heard some people say, well, she did not know what he looked like, um, uh, you know, because he had been marred, his visage had been marred more than any other man. But I, I I don't see that myself because she's the one who prepared his body. She knew exactly what death 
looked like. More than the disciples, she knew what death looked uh, like. I think she couldn't see him because she was weeping. Have you ever really been beside yourself weeping, your eyes filled with tears? The whole world turns blurry. The whole world, you're just streaming tears. You're not clear-eyed. Everything is distorted to you, and that's what pain does. It distorts everything. That's what brokenness does. It distorts everything. God can be very near to you, but you can't perceive him. You can't feel him. You can't, because everything is distorted by pain. Jesus says to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Do you hear what he said? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, oh, this touches my heart. If you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. There's no way you can love him like I love him. There's no way you can take care of his body like I can take care of his body. I don't want this honor to go to anyone else. Just tell me where you've laid him and I will take care of him. Woman, whom are you seeking? Jesus says to her, Mary. The one she was seeking found her. And that's the story of Calvary. What we were always seeking has found us. What we always wanted actually wants us. What we've always needed, who we have always needed, has chosen to need us. Calvary is us seeking and God finding. And through it all, the Lord says our name and knows us by name. Mary, this is your message. The tomb is empty. Mary, the tomb is empty. Mary's the first one to tell the others, and that is why some commentators call her, Mary Magdalene, the apostle to the apostles, because she's the one who took the good news to the people who were going to take the good news to the whole world, all because she could not get beyond the love of God. She could not be practical about it. She could not decide, well, I just need to move on with my life. She couldn't go home like the other disciples. She couldn't just go back to work like Peter. She wasn't ready to move on. Love had her in its grip and would not let her go. This is a perfect example of the love of God. Like the songwriter said, could we with ink the ocean feel And were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade. To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Oh, love of God, how rich, how pure. How measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. So, as I conclude, I want to invite you wherever you are in the metro area, if perhaps you're watching this somewhere else in the world, wherever you are, I would like you to ask yourself if you have if you have taken time to see the profound love of God and his deep commitment to you. And I'd like, wherever you are, I'd like you maybe just to close your eyes right in your living room 
and ask yourself, have I really perceived how committed God is to me? And if you have not done that, or if you haven't done it in a long time, I'd like you to see him carrying his cross. I'd like, to, I'd like you to see him covered with punishment, and the marks of punishment, and the blood of suffering, and a face marred from beating. And I'd like you to remember the crown of thorns. And I'd like you to ask yourself, why would he do this? I'd like you to imagine the host of heaven, all of the angels, begging to be released from their divine hold. You don't deserve this, Jesus. And their argument would go something like this. There's no love worth this. Can't you just move on, Lord? You still have us. No love is worth this. You know how we talk to one another when we're trying to help them get over some broken love? We say things like this. He doesn't know what he's missing. He doesn't deserve you, girl. That's the kind of way we encourage one another. It's her loss. You'll find somebody better. But what? If like Mary Magdalene, God's not ready to find someone better. And he says, no matter what you do to me, I'm not giving up on you. No matter whether you receive or don't receive, my love is true. Whether or not you live in spiritual adultery and betray the covenant, it doesn't give me grounds to betray you. Because I have enough love for both of us. And I have enough, uh, I have enough commitment, covenant love for both of us. That's the story of the cross. Humanity does its worst. God does its best. He dies. But that's not the end. Because three days later, he's going to come out of that tomb. And the promises are going to be evidenced by his resurrection. And our hope is going to be founded by his resurrection. And today, in this strange year of 2020, where we're living through kind of a historic circumstance, through it all, through the midst of it, I want you to know, he's committed and he loves you that much. So don't let your heart move on. God's not ready to move on. Don't let your life just be practical enough to forget about how he loved you. Don't talk yourself out of a love so strong. He's not ready to move on. He's committed to you. Right where you are, bow your head. Lord Jesus, we humble ourselves before you today. What you did for us is overwhelming and, and if we're being honest with ourselves, it's, it's probably true that we most often don't understand it than we understand it. It's, it's difficult for us really to fathom, but it stands as a, a testimony in the middle of history of how much you loved us and how you weren't willing to move on and you won't just get over it and your love doesn't have a sell-by date on it. Even when you have grounds for divorce, you won't move on. Even when you have cause for divorce, you won't move on. Your love for us is profound. And when we comprehend it, the only thing left to do 
is to return it to you. And that is this gospel we celebrate. You first loved us in our sin, our error, our rebellion, our idolatry. You loved us. And we, so moved and so saved by that love, choose today to give our hearts back to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Today, we celebrate the amazing love of God. He wouldn't just move on and be practical about it. He wouldn't just do the smart thing, (laughs) which was write us off, try again. He wouldn't just sing, there's other fish in the sea. (laughs) He was committed. And today we give God thanks for that. The story doesn't end with death. The story ends with resurrection. And it actually doesn't even end there. It's a love story. And it is a love story that transcends time and transcends death. And that is what we are celebrating here, one with another. We love you. I miss you terribly. We're going to come together and we're going to worship in a manner we've never worshiped and it's going to be beautiful. God bless you. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us. Thank you.